1: We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey.
2: This vaccine will help us to get past this pandemic once and for all.
3: We need people to
4: have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure.
2: Hello, it's another Friday. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik.
1: I'm a, I'm Roger Hearing. A very good afternoon. We begin with suggestions. The lockdown could last potentially until this summer. Boris Johnson's warning of a tough few weeks ahead, dropping a pledge for the country to return to normal by April. And all comes as several papers are reporting everyone in England who tests positive for COVID-19 could automatically be given £500 to self-isolate. A leaked document seen by The Guardian says ministers are considering it so that more people get checked for the virus and isolate if they do have it.
2: And I mean, as a lot of people are pointing out, often this sort of thing could work as an incentive, couldn't it, to go and get COVID? Who knows? Uh, It's certainly something that the government is not keen to comment on too heavily. Uh, Also, I mean, you've seen them in the last few days briefing against the idea that uh, we're coming out anytime soon, purely because it feels like Boris Johnson wants this to be the last lockdown, wants to get it done and then move on. At the same time today, Home Secretary Priti Patel says anyone caught at house parties will face an £800 fine. As part of measures to boost lockdown compliance
3: the science is clear such irresponsible behavior poses a significant threat to public health not only to those in attendance but also to our wonderful police officers who attend these events to shut them
0: down
2: and according to the guardian the need to look at the current system has been prompted by government polling which indicates that only 17 percent of people with symptoms get tested while one in four comply with rules to self-isolate. Pretty poor Roger.
1: Yes well hopefully things might change on that front but we'll see with the government incentives. But the big event this week has been undoubtedly the inauguration of Joe Biden. We're at the end of a week in which the global political landscape changed dramatically and the 46th president has lost no time in making it clear there's a new man in the most powerful office in the world. Out from the Oval Office went the bust of Winston Churchill. In came a painting of Alexander Hamilton. Symbols matter, especially here in Britain. Endlessly anxious about its transatlantic links and newly vulnerable after being severed from Europe. So... Where do we stand now in the view from the White House and what can we do about it? Joining us, I'm very pleased to say now, is Baroness Kate Fall, member of the House of Lords International Affairs Committee, director of the Atlantic Partnership, former Deputy Chief Advisor David Cameron, uh, whose book published last year, The Gatekeeper, Life at the Heart of Number 10, described working at the centre of government. Kate, welcome to the program and thanks very much for being with us. Uh, Let me ask you first, do you think Joe Biden's election is a good thing for the transatlantic relationship.
3: Well, I definitely do. I mean, there's a sense of having a more reliable um partner in the in the White House and somebody who feels like he will put multilateral um arrangements at the heart of of the way he works, and that can only be good news for Britain. And there are many things you know, climate change, and we're all, we're all say suffering from the same um, huge challenges with COVID and trade and all sorts of things that that connect with our values. We're just having a conversation with someone who is, you know, a bit more reliable and, let's say, predictable is going to be helpful. Uh,
2: and, and it may be difficult the other way around. I mean, just a few years ago, uh, Kate, Biden called uh Johnson, a physical and emotional clone of Trump. So personally, there may be some hurdles to come over. If you were in number 10 now, what would you be advising Boris Johnson to do to get over things like that?
3: Well, there's always an anxiety about the sort of actual personal relationship between a British prime minister and a president. It's such an important relationship. And I think that happens oh, you know, it's happened so many times. I mean, if you go back and you look at John Major, who was very close to Bush and then slightly was seen to offend Clinton and um so on and so forth. I mean, David Cameron had a very close relationship with Barack Obama. They were from separate parties. And I think look, there's no doubt about it, you know, um Boris um definitely sort of of course was going to have reached out and tried to make the relationship work with Trump. Um and he is quite has quite a bombastic style. So Some people sort of, you know, thought they had quite similar, maybe similar styles of speaking. But I have no doubt that within, you know, a couple of weeks and a couple of conversations working on the G7 agenda, for example, COP26, that the two men will quickly establish a good working relationship.
1: What do you think really are the key issues that need to be resolved, looked at, listed, discussed? What would you say is the shortlist then?
3: Well, first of all, COVID. I mean, you know, obviously that's not an issue you solve, you know, university, but I think there's a sense that everybody is trying to get through this difficult period. Um, you know, rejoining the World Health Authority or not leaving it, I think, you know, was a very good first move and sort of reassures people there's a sense of a, a global um, consensus or a global effort to come together on these big issues. Climate change is obviously another one, but then you've got huge issues around you know, China and the sort of polarisation we find ourselves in at the moment, a sense of outrage about um, what's going on in Xinjiang. Um, and it's it, all these really huge issues it's so much easier to resolve if we're dealing with somebody who you know sits down at the table and says what can we do about it rather than what can I do about it and of course you know trade with the reform of WTO a sense of NATO being at the heart of our security arrangement I mean Trump was always slightly um, you know, didn't spend as much time on the NATO relationship I mean my committee's just finished in a piece of work on Afghanistan and there, the urge is let let be, let's act together. Let's not not withdraw the troops before we we make the settlement. So, lots of issues.
2: And I mean, one of the the ways of addressing these issues is at these big set-piece events, and we've got a few coming up. You've got COP26, you mentioned uh, environmental commitments, and then G7 as well. Mm. How much can they really do to cement the bond, particularly now when not all of them are happening in person? You don't have that relationship. Uh, yeah. And we know that Boris Johnson operates so well in, in that sort of environment. I mean,
3: look, we all know that the big piece events are, you know, a lot of it is body language and... You know, the family photo and the image of all those people coming together to, to solve the, the um you know the world's issues. Um and actually the G seven at its best and it was originally set up as a sort of fireside chat of the, you know, leaders of the world. Um and then sometimes, you know, they, they, they don't do as much as you'd hope when you think of all those strong people coming together. And a lot of the work is done with the officials, the sharpers, the conversations that go on before. So, I mean, although these are important events, even more important is just the, the sense that everybody is coming together to try and solve some of these big problems and talk with each other at a, at a senior level and also within, within the framework of their official. And
1: one of the things, I suppose, that's most noticeable is when Britain sets down at the COP... And at G7, it's no longer as a member of the European Union. Brexit has, to most people, put us in a weaker position, certainly vis-a-vis Washington, wouldn't you say?
3: Well, I think that, you know, we definitely played a very useful role for America being a sort of bridge into Europe. I mean, not least because, you know, we have the, the long-standing close friendship, but also the language, um, shared values. And that no longer you know, exists in the way that it did. But I think that it will take in a bit of time to re-establish itself and its role in, the, in, in, in on the world stage. But don't forget, you know, we're still a member of a lot of very important organisations. We have a strong military, we still have a strong aid um, policy. I mean, I personally regret the reduction from 0.7%, but still we do spend a lot on aid. Um, so, you know, we're members of these strong organisations. Um, we, you know, Five Eyes is a strong forum for us. And then we hear from the Biden team this new idea about bringing together a sort of D10, a collection of of um, democracies, Western-style values. So, you know, I think Britain will take a bit of time to... Sort itself out, but we we will, I'm sure, be a strong partner to America and and a, a strong partner to the European Union. I hope so.
2: Well, I mean that, that that's exactly it. Because I mean, we talk about the political and the economic ties with the EU. Of course, also Biden has cultural ties with Ireland. Um, does that mean then yeah. that the UK has to build bridges with the EU if it wants to build bridges with the US? Are the two things linked?
3: I, I think, I look, I think that we, of course, we have to have strong relations with the EU. They're our neighbours. We trade with them. We, we, we travel with them. We see them the whole time. I think I, I think that will change and evolve over time. We're just at the point where we're trying to manage, if you like, our sort of post-divorce relationship. And And I think that will be an ongoing relationship. I think we'll look at it in 10 years and then in 20 years and see how that shifted. Um, So I think that the relationship is incredibly important, whether we were in or whether we're out. Um, And and then America, of course, will change the way in which it um, not just uses us, but we are allies in NATO. We're allies of them in five eyes. We have all sorts of other means to build that relationship. And I think what you will see though, of course, is... The Americans, you know, may be spending a bit more time building their relationships with the Germans and the French, for example, to help them with the EU relationship. But the Americans, as you know, have always had, you know, strong ties with Germany, for example. So there will be a bit of shifting sands, I think.
1: And finally and briefly, Kate, do we really matter as much to the Americans as we used to, do you think?
3: Look, this thing about the special relationship, some people say oh, it's over and it did it ever begin. But, yes, we've always had a close relationship. And, of course, all relationships evolve over time. But I think you'll find yeah. um, once President Biden has got his feet under the table in the Oval Office, he's got a huge agenda. I think Britain will be there for America, and I hope that they will find us a trusted ally.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Steeple. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
1: Stiefel
2: Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. In this special episode, we're looking at the relationship between the UK and the US. The relationship between those two countries is long. It's complicated. As someone pointed out, when the pro-Trump mob stormed the Capitol two weeks ago, uh, the last time that armed people had assaulted the US Congress, it was the British Army in 1814. But it was then as allies in two world wars and the Cold War that followed that America and the UK became trusting, if not equal, friends. So quite the journey.
1: Well, the close bonds between Reagan and Thatcher, Clinton and Blair in more recent years kept that going. Johnson and Trump wasn't quite like that, but it was an alliance that may now cast a pall over his dealings with the new man in the White House. Well, joining us now is David Reynolds, professor of international history and fellow of Christ College, Cambridge, author of America, Empire of Liberty and Ireland stories. David, welcome to the program and thanks for being with us. Looking back, as perhaps we should, what made the partnerships work, really, between the likes of Reagan, Thatcher, Clinton, Blair? Could Johnson do something similar with Biden? Well, the, uh, the partnerships in the past,
4: sometimes slightly overstated in rosy glow, um, rested on fundamentals like the cooperation between the two countries in intelligence-sharing, the reality of the common language, which meant that very frequently leaders could just, uh, and diplomats and so on, could pick up the phone and talk to their counterpart. They didn't need translators and interpreters. Um, the chemistry sometimes was ideological, uh, in the sense Reagan and Thatcher certainly saw the world in similar ways. Um, but I think there was also this sense of a much deeper. Common culture that goes back over the centuries, and although uh, America broke away from uh, uh, being a colony of Britain, and although, as you uh, delicately reminded us, that uh, the British burnt the uh, the, uh, the White House and the Capitol in uh, in 1814, we did apologise very fulsomely in 2014 for the 200th anniversary.
2: It's an interesting point, uh, David, about the the culture, the history, the language, all of those shared uh, aspects. Does that mean that these two countries are always going to be close, regardless of what happens, once you have such a fundamental base?
4: No, uh, absolutely not. And uh, as you pointed out, over um, in recent years, there there have been... uh, in strains, and and particularly, I think, for an incoming administration, Biden administration, which, of course, many of the people there are are people who were veterans of Obama's administration. There was a feeling that, um, uh, a a suspicion in some ways of Boris Johnson, uh, a sense that this was a showman rather than a man of substance, um, and a deep doubt about the whole Brexit project, a belief that this was really... It didn't make an awful lot of sense uh, in in practical, material terms. Uh, it was going to get in the way of uh, proper cooperation. So that whatever was the relationship between Johnson and Trump, uh, I think uh, there's now the incoming administration has a sense that Johnson has got to prove that he is a serious uh, Atlanticist uh, in a way that uh, hasn't always been the case for prime ministers dealing with new presidents.
1: I suppose, David, one can't talk about the uh, US-UK relationship, historically at least, without mentioning Ireland at some point. And it's particularly relevant, obviously, in relation to Joe Biden with his Irish ancestral origins. But you can go back to, well, 100 years or so of slightly difficult relations because of the Irish community in the US. Now, it may be, we don't know, that there are moves growing towards a United Ireland, possibly as a result of Brexit, could the Irish issue still be hung round the neck of the UK-US relationship?
4: Uh, yes, it's always been more sensitive when we've had Democratic presidents because of the importance of Irish Americans in the Democratic base, um, and that. So that was true, for example, for Bill Clinton, who played a, uh, you know, took a an active role in the peace process in the in the 1990s. Um, I think part of what is the concern uh, in, in the new administration is the feeling that Boris Johnson really when he was going on into the Brexit project didn't give much thought to the implications of that project for the unity of the United Kingdom as a whole and particularly for Ireland and also really took, didn't um, take seriously how significant the, if you like, the devolution agreements at the end of the 1990s were um, for the whole future of the United Kingdom. In other words, devolution to Scotland and and Wales in terms of, of their own parliaments and governments and also this absolutely historic um, uh, peace agreement uh, between uh, uh, London and uh, Dublin which helped to open up a new relationship across the border in ways that are transforming slowly, incrementally, in complex ways, the whole Irish question. And I think that for Biden, uh, making sure that that new and evolving relationship between the two parts of Ireland is not prejudiced, that would be absolutely central um, in, in, in his concerns. But he's also concerned about other things to do with the fallout from Brexit. I think a lot of people around him uh, really were worried that the way that the British government, in its efforts to insist on sovereignty, uh, were not um, interested in building, did not appear to be interested in building close relationships on security and um, uh, internet intelligence cooperation, with the european union because their concern was to to demonstrate distance between the two uh britain and the european union and i think they also don't really take the the line that appears to be the case in london which is oh alliances are separable we are an absolutely hundred percent uh member of nato uh, and that's separate from our relationship with the european union as far as people in washington are concerned yeah. The two go together, and indeed the whole point of Britain uh, of Britain and the special relationship for successive American administrations was that we were close allies of the United States. We spoke their language literally and metaphorically, but we were also embedded in this uh, in Western Europe. And that's the question that's hanging now. Is that still the case? Can Brexit Britain still be as full a partner? as uh, was the case in the past.
2: Well, one thing that would certainly help is uh, a US-UK trade deal. We know this is something that uh, the Brits are after. Presumably, it's yeah. not going to be very high on Joe Biden's priorities, given the state of the pandemic.
4: Yeah, I I, I think that um, that's the case. And remember, too, it's not just the pandemic. Um, Biden is taking seriously as part of his attempt to try and at least um heal some of the wounds within the united states the sense that um support for trump uh rested in part on a backlash against globalization uh against uh what was seen as free trade that um ran over domestic interests in the united states and so he is not going to go out of his way to cater for British domestic interests, if that means damaging the interests or the perceived interests of Americans themselves, the people who feel their jobs have been lost because of globalization. The other thing that's worth remembering is of course the the trade deals are a particularly political part of the American process. It involve any getting anything through involves a lot of log rolling on Congress, backscratching, scratching, um, uh, making sure that local interests are uh, represented by particular congressmen and senators are respected. So the the idea that um, the special relationship is going to mean we will get a preferential deal with the United States trade deal, yeah. I think, is 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 highly illusory.
1: David, I mean, one of the things looking back, one could say, is that uh, the US and the UK are together best when they're, they've got a cause in common, particularly of the liberal democratic variety, whether it's uh, facing down, I suppose, the Nazis in the Second World War, the Soviet Union afterwards. If now, in a slightly different way, they perhaps take on China's increasing authoritarian influence, is that something that could bring them together?
4: I would say I would agree with you about common causes. Um, I would uh, the, the cause I would look for at the moment in this coming year is, is actually the question of climate change. Um, this is something that is really high on the agenda of the Biden administration, particularly after what Trump has, has done. Uh, John Kerry, former Secretary of State, is now uh, Biden's um, uh, energy uh, uh, climate envoy with a seat in the National Security Council. We have in November the big climate change conference uh, taking place in Glasgow, COP26. Uh, Britain is chairman of that. And as far as the Biden administration is concerned, this is a really high priority. Now, Boris Johnson has made a number of uh, big commitments on uh, reducing carbon emissions. The Biden administration wants to be clear that that's more than just uh, uh, statements and rhetoric. Um, they put pressure, I think, behind the scenes on the government, on this government in in London, to really work at uh, preparing the ground for that conference. And in a way, both gov- both governments in London and in Washington have a common interest in showing that international cooperation can be rebuilt um, uh, over the issue of climate change, and also the credibility of both governments for competence. Uh, one of the problems with the Trump administration and in many ways with, with Britain over the last few years is the sense that a government's were, the governments were not behaving in a particularly competent way. So delivering an internationalist um, progress on, on climate change in November in a competent, effective partnership way, I think will be a common goal of both uh, London
1: and Washington. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.